On Monday, August 8th, Tall Can Audio hits 1,000 episodes. Wait, that's still on? Who could possibly still care? And the gang is all here to celebrate. It's euphoric. It's got to be close to Nirvana. It's outstanding. For the first time ever, Maddie, Michaela, Rob, and Matt are all live in studio together. It's happening, you guys! It's happening! Oh my god! Oh my god! I wish you all were here! Is this likely to go well? Just check my notes here. No! At least it will make a lot of noise. Boom. Here comes the boom. A thousand pods and a thousand pints. I don't think I've ever been as proud in my entire life. TCA 1000 drops Monday, August 8th, wherever you find low-quality podcasts. Fuck, it's out of control. Shit. Hey, happy birthday, Ric Flair, today, too, by the way. Woo! This is Talk Can Audio. We're not here to take part, we're here to take over. Nice to be back in the garden, eh? Woo! Welcome to Tall Can Audio. I am Michaela. He is Matt. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at Tall Can Audio. We have got a great show for you today. Uh, but first things first, last time we spoke, Matt, we were joined by none other than Matt Nichols, new quarterback for the Ottawa Redblacks, and of course, Chris Hoffley from mm-hmm. the Ottawa Redblacks Media Department. Uh, what did you think of that interview? Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that, to be honest with you. I He seemed like kind of a, a laid-back guy. He was easy to talk over, which sometimes happens in this group with me, you and, uh, and Hoff certainly. Um, but when we were nice enough to sit back and allow our guest to actually speak, I thought he was great. I, I really enjoyed his take. I always dig when, um, when people get into what we want to do around here, he came with a couple of pints. So he, he was good with the vibe that we had going on. I, I enjoyed it. What about you? Yeah, I you know, the beer selection I really love because the Pacific Northwest is known for mm-hmm. being a great craft beer scene, right? And I know he's in Washington State, if yep. I'm remembering correctly. That's right, yep. Um, and if my geography matches up, I think that's the Pacific Northwest. <laughs> so I'm going to go with it. And I, I, I've I've never been uh, to that area, but I know that they're they're known for having really great craft beer. So it was cool that uh, he had a couple local brews there. And yeah, yeah you know, it, it's just great to get his perspective you know he's, he's a quarterback who's been in the league for a while and and i've never had the the pleasure of interviewing him before and i think there's a lot of a lot of i think red blacks fans are right to have questions about what's going on i mean none of what happened over the last few weeks is is matt nichols fault at all sure, no. um you know whether it's people are mad that nick arbuckle is not the, the quarterback or just confused by the whole situation it's nice to get you know we had Paul Lapolis on to kind of explain things a bit further, which was helpful. And then it's nice to get Matt Nichols perspective as well. Cause sometimes you forget that there's human beings behind these, these players that we're, we're talking about how much money they make and, and you know, whether or not they're the right fit. And meanwhile, we're sitting here in our armchair GM positions yes. with, you know, only a fraction of the understanding of a situation. So, you know, and, and again, like I'm not criticizing anybody for being upset or confused because I was both of those things. Uh, and, and still am both of those things at times. Uh, but that's just because I'm confused in general, but <laughs> it's, it's just helpful to get their perspective. So I really appreciated that from Matt Nichols. So, so that was awesome. But well, at, uh, at, at the risk of, of delaying what we both want to do here in, in cracking a beer, did anything surprise you from, from talking to him? Or did you feel like there was anything you're like, Oh, I didn't really, you know, just anything that you kind of took away going, I didn't know he was that kind of guy or just his Im- impressions on certain things, anything at all. The fact that he's writing a book, 
That was Definitely. crazy, eh? That's yeah. pretty cool. Like I, 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 you know, athletes have such great perspectives and there's so much behind the scenes stuff that like, I, I I'm, I'm not one of those people, but I know that most, a lot of sports fans, like if you're a hockey fan, for example, you'll buy any hockey book read just to get yeah, the, the behind the scenes. Yeah. Yep. I, I can't get into hockey books as much as I'd like to mostly because with all due respect to hockey players, they're nope. not always the greatest no. writers. No, nope. and and that's and I mean that with like you know sometimes they have ghost writers. They they have you know um, partner writers yeah. who help them through, which is really great. I'm more interested in the media books, like um, like that. with Bob, but yeah, Bob McKenzie, James Duthie, and admittedly I haven't read either, but I'm more the Bob intrigued. Bob Cole by biography them. was really good. Um, oh, okay, stuff like that, right? I, the one Sean Fitzgerald put out not too long ago about a year in the life of the Peterborough Peets kind of thing. And how hockey in Canada is actually kind of in trouble. That was good. Like they don't always have to be biographies. And, and like you say, sometimes the ones written by actual uh, writers are better. If, it, if I was going to recommend to you or to any of our listeners, one player autobiography, Sean Pronger. It's called Journeyman. And the guy is not afraid to tell you. I'm not very good, right? Like, I, <laughs> and he he said like they there was a bit of a routine. Like there was times of day. Like if if, if he called his wife shortly after noon, um, out of the blue, she would usually answer the phone with "Where are we going?" Right? Like, are we being sent mm-hmm. down? Have you been traded? Like, what's happening? You never call me at this time of day. Um, stuff like that. Um, and he tells a hilarious story in the book about showing up just one day to practice. Um, and somebody's sick. I think it was Adam Graves. So he's being put on Wayne Gretzky's line in, uh, with the New York Rangers, just maybe not for the game, but at least for practice. And unfortunately the night before, you know, expecting that he was going to be a fourth line guy, healthy scratch, whatever he has tied one on the night before and feels awful at practice. He's hung over to hell. So the coaches lay the, the lines out there for practice and he goes right up to Wayne and just tells him. Right. Like, look, Wayne, I'm just going to level with you. Like, I'm in awful shape. And Wayne kind of pats him on the shoulder and said, don't worry, I'll take care of you. Like, I'll make you look good. And he said it was absolutely intentional. Wayne went out and made him look awful. Like Wayne could pass his way out of any situation, but any pass that day, he just would bang it hard off Pronger's stick and up over the glass or something and then turn and yell at him. Like, come on, kid. Right. Like just stuff. And Wayne, you know, when the coaches would turn and disgust, Wayne had kind of wink at him or smirk and like, he's just being an asshole to him just for, so all the guys can have a laugh. Right. Like those are the, I don't have a lot of time for the actual Wayne Gretzky book where it was like, yeah, I was awesome for 30 years and, and whatever the Sean Pronger book, the journeyman stuff. Hilarious. Right. Like yeah. I, I love that kind of stuff. That's a really interesting angle. Uh, Ken Reed of Sportsnet yep. wrote, I think he's written two books now, and and w- at least one of them, one of them is called One Night yep. or something like one that. One Night and Only, it's, yep. One Night Only. And it's about guys who played one game in the <laughs> NHL. And it's, I, I was, I haven't read it, but I was, I was listening to an interview with him about it. And he was saying like, these are still great athletes who made it to the pinnacle of hockey. Yeah. They just didn't cut it in the league for whatever reason. It didn't work out, but they still made it to the, you know, to the show. Yes. And I thought that was a really interesting perspective. And one athlete, former athlete, mm-hmm. uh, whose books I have on my, on my list to, to read or listen to on audible is, uh, Ken Dryden. I have thought, uh, yeah, yeah. Great writer. Um, I, my sister got me for Christmas, the audio book of, uh, his biography on Scotty Bowman. Um, oh, okay. But yeah, he has, he obviously has the game. He has the one on, uh, on, um, 
Monador, Steve Monador. Um, like he's written a few and a great writer. Those are the two that I have it, that I want to read. I've heard the game's really good. I'm very interested in the game change, the Steve Monador yes, story, yeah. uh, just because I'm fascinated by brain injuries and CTE and all that stuff, and it seems really interesting. So I my my wish list on Audible is way too long because I <laughs> I consider whether it's physical books or audio books, buying them and reading them slash listening to them to, are two different things. Yes. I buy books at a much higher rate than I read them. Okay. So my to read, and I read pretty consistently, you have but my to read leather list. bound books. Oh uh, yes, my library <laughs> behind me here. See, um, you know, you know what? Let's let's get into let's get into the beer. We can yeah. continue the book talk, but we're, we're prolonging the yes. the the necessary evil here. What are you drinking tonight? This is uh, I'm still hanging around the uh, the Five Paddles Brewing Company. This is called Double Double. And it is a coffee blonde with lactose. So it, Whoa. it, yeah, it appears they are all in on trying to replicate the double double, right? The, the coffee. Experience. I've had several Ugh. coffee stouts. Don't mind them. Now I don't drink coffee. Are you a coffee drinker? Oh yes. Okay. Not I me. have a headache right now. Cause I had my coffee 20 minutes later than I normally do. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't drink coffee. I've just never been much for any, eh, most of the time. I'm not much for a hot beverage. Now, if we're out on the lake or something and someone's got some hot chocolate and Baileys or something, I have time for that. Um, but most of the time, not a hot beverage guy, not a coffee guy, not a tea guy, anything like that. But I do enjoy a good coffee stout. And in the morning, I love the smell of coffee. I just don't want to drink it myself, right? So this will be interesting because I don't know that I've ever had a coffee blonde before. And obviously the lactose is supposed to simulate your... Your double double here, so I'm curious. What do you got going on? So yes, I want to hear about what that uh, what that situation is all about. Uh, much like you, I'm sticking with the, the same brewery that I went with earlier this week. I've got a Brock Street Brewing uh, Company today. I'm going with the New England Session IPA. Wow. Okay. Yeah. There oh, we go. Nice. nice. I I gotta say, and I can't remember if I talked about this. I, I explained the situation in the previous podcast as to how I ended up getting so much Brock Street beer. So if anybody wants to listen to that, you can check out our Matt Nichols interview, where you'll find out the uh, interesting saga as to how I ended up in Whitby. <laughs> that was episode um, seven ninety four. It's the one right before this. Wherever you're listening now, or at TallCanAudio.com, you'll find it. There you go. That's that's called a tease in the business. <laughs> Um, but I, I have to say, I've been super uh, ex- happy and and I don't want to say surprised. I had no reason to think they would be bad. But every beer I've had from Brock Street so far of the haul that we got has been super tasty. Nice. Um, I've got their, I had their blonde, I had their craft lager, I drank their West Coast IPA uh, a couple days ago, and every single one is just super super tasty. So uh, I'm I'm loving this so Thumbs far. Thumbs up and I to haven't... Brock Street. Thumbs up to Brock Street. I also stopped at Town Brewing when I was there, and uh, I'm hoping maybe next week I'll crack into one of those. A much more interesting brewery, that one. Like, like Brock Street had, like, kind of the styles. They had pretty much everything. Like, yeah. they, they had a, a, a beer for every style. Town was much more the funky stuff. Okay. And, you know, a lot of heavier IPAs, some sour. I think they had sours. Anyway, I only got a couple from them because I was like, this is too adventurous for me. <laughs> How's the how's the coffee stout with lactose? Coffee blonde. Coffee blonde, sorry. Yeah, coffee no, blonde. Um I guess I don't know what a double double tastes like. So <laughs> this will be hard for me to compare if you're looking for the uh the actual Tim Hortons comparison or whatever for the good listener, but I don't mind it. I'm not usually huge on the lactose thing. You you do see it in more and more stuff 
lately. It's fine. Um, I don't know. I'm going to have to give this a couple more sips. I definitely get the coffee thing that they're going for. Like I, I do, I do get it. So if you think by the title that that's something you might be into, you're probably going to be into this. I need a couple more sips to decide that whether or not I, I like it or not. How about yours? Is it a blonde? Like, is it, is it a blonde, actually yeah. blonde? Oh, that is so interesting. I will pour this one out. Uh, I got it. Well, not this one. I'm not pouring it out. I got a second one in the fridge, uh, that I was planning to, to have later on while I'm editing. I'll pour that into a glass. Let everybody get a good look at the color of this thing. This one is interesting. It's, uh, it's definitely better, and th- this is why session IPAs always kind of weird me out. It's got a little bit of a wheat beer taste to it. Okay, and I think I've I've voiced my displeasure for yes. wheat beers <laughs> on the podcast in the past. It's not terrible. Like it's it's a three point eight percent, so it's very light. It's refreshing. It's crisp. It's got a little bit of bitterness, but it's got that hint of I don't know what the flavor is in wheat beers. It's like that spicy flavor. Yeah, just yeah, okay. And it's got a little bit of that, so it's. It's not my favorite, but it's definitely, um, I, I knew what I was getting into with the session IPA. Sometimes the sessions have that kind of Belgian style to yep, it. So that's right. yeah, it's not terrible. I, I, I'd give it like a three on untapped. Okay. Yeah. Um, I know we got a couple things scheduled here, but I wanted to ask you something before we get into all this. And we have just witnessed your Ottawa senators take two in a row from the Montreal Canadians. Uh, <laughs> we're going to talk about, um, the, the, the fact that they fired Claude Julian um, and, and you know, what's right or wrong there. But kind of around that, I've, I've seen this thing, and this wasn't the first time, but I definitely saw it after Wednesday night, Tuesday night. When was the, the, the second? Tuesday night, I guess. Um, after the second Senators win. And I saw more than one pre, uh, person mention it. This idea that Brady Kachuk plays harder against Montreal. And I wanted to get your take. And and for those who don't immediately follow along, um, two or three years ago, whenever Brady was drafted, uh, Montreal had the pick before Ottawa and selected Kutkanyemi. And I don't know that it was really a statement on, on what they thought of Brady Kachuk because they had basically said going into the draft, we're taking a center. Like, there was a little room for, you know, are they just talking or, or whatever? They badly needed a center. And so no one was surprised when they took Kotkaniemi. But Brady was the next pick. And I guess the insinuation is that, you know, Brady's going to shove it up their ass for the next 10 to 15 years. And I got time for spite like that. I, I like that in a guy. But I wonder whether or not, you know, anecdotally or like... Do you notice anything when he plays Montreal that might suggest to you like he's got a little extra burr in his saddle or is that just, you know, kind of fan talk that, you know, we love that he's really sticking it to um, one of our chief rivals? I honestly, I I heard that narrative too and I thought, well, that's interesting. I feel like Brady just play. I personally, I haven't noticed it because I feel like Brady just plays hard against everybody. Yeah, he's a shithead against my team. I don't know how much it, more exactly. of a shithead he can be against that. <laughs> if if he was extra spicy against Montreal, I would wager a guess as to say it's because it's a division rival and right. a longtime rival of the Sens. Much like he, I I think he plays just as hard as get against the Leafs, unless yeah. I'm missing something. Yeah. Uh, but but I find that interesting because like. 
and granted, he's not going to have to face them anytime this season, but wouldn't he then also play extra hard against Buffalo and Carolina for passing over yeah. him in the draft in at one and two? Like, yeah. I, 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 I get that that's a, a coincidence right now, given that Kakigniemi is is one of their kind of up and coming stars. Brady Kachuk, same thing on the Ottawa Senators. These teams are going to play each other ten times this <laughs> season, so so it's it's a narrative that certainly is is worth exploring. But I honestly don't know that Brady Kachuk would have given it that much thought. I think he's always struck me as just a team guy. Like yeah. whatever team he plays for, he will die for them. And I think this is just what he's doing, right? That he's playing his role. His role is to be that absolute pain in the ass in front of the net to get in people's faces. His role is, is so that fans hate him when, when he does not play for your team and it doesn't matter what team yeah, that is. Mission accomplished. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I think and and you know what? Sorry, it's fun to watch. Yeah, no, it I bet. To watch. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I just, I think there's something to most fan bases, not cer- certainly not just the senators, but like, Day to day, it's more fun to put a bit of a narrative on some things that are probably just more regular than we expect, right? Brady Kachuk's a pain in the ass to play against. And I'm not suggesting that there hasn't been times or big games or whatever where maybe he's more fired up, like you've suggested, because it it is a traditional um, division rival. But I, I, I don't think this far in, I think this is his third season, um that you would still be, oh, I'm going to show you, right? Like, I don't know how much he cared, right? Like, unless he really had his heart set on going to Montreal or something, and, and no one's reported that, no one's ever said that. So, I I don't know. I think it's fun. I think that's kind of what fans do. And, and I don't have a problem with a fan base going, yeah, this guy's going to be up your ass for 10 years. I do have a hard time believing that's his motivation. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I don't think he needs that motivation to be a pain in the ass. Right. That's just his game. That's his MO. That's and right. that's how he's going to play, whether it's Montreal or Toronto or Vancouver or, or Calgary, hopefully. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, that's that's how he's going to play. And speaking of Calgary, obviously the Sens are about to start a four-game stint against them. Five out of the next six games are against the Calgary Flames. And a lot's been made of the Kachuk brother brawl battle whatever you want to call it are you an idiot Michaela are you one of the idiots am I an idiot well apparently I am because I asked (laughs) I asked today if they were going to fight and listen is it not hear me out hear me out is it not the most Matthew Kachuk thing of all time to say whoever thinks we're going to fight is an idiot and then drop the gloves on the opening face off (laughs) watch that happen and I'm and I'm not saying they're gonna do it but just just think about that. That is absolutely something Matthew Kachuk would do. He may not he, have any plans right now to fight Brady, but you just said it. Five out of the next six games by game five, game six. Yeah, fuck you, man. You're beat, you've beat us three in a row or whatever. And I remember that time you took the top bunk at the hotel we stayed at. <laughs> like, I, <laughs> I'm still you, not over that. Right. You have no idea what might be stirring around in there. Look, I don't think they're going to fight. I understand, you know, Kachuk versus Kachuk is a fun narrative. And I do believe there will be some, you know, some stuff, some of that Kachuk stuff that they both do that that will get inflicted on each other because they both play hard for their teams. I would be surprised if they fought. But yeah, I I think Matthew was being a little bit, uh, I don't know. I, maybe that's how he feels. I'm not going to fight my brother and you're an idiot if you think I will. I, I don't know. But he does like to stir the pot. 
And I know his mom has been quite adamant about them not fighting. So he, uh, I'm sure he got that question a million times this week. I'm sorry. That question needs to be asked. Yeah, it's going to be asked. This is hockey media. That's how they, that's how they roll. Yeah. But um, I was on the air today with Steve Lloyd and he brought up a great point. Like what's going to happen if Matthew Kachuk takes a run at Timmy Stutzla? Right. I don't think like Brady at the very least is going to get up in his grill. Yeah. I, I'm or, not saying they're going to drop the gloves, but there's going to be some, yeah, exchanging or Brady at Giordano, right? Like yeah. one way or another, like somebody, those are the guys who usually answer the bell and it could get interesting fat, especially if something, you know, at least on the verge of dirty happens tonight, Thursday night in game one, and you've got all these games lined up. Like it doesn't take long to get sick of somebody and just be like, I've been lining up against you for two weeks now. I'm going to punch you right in your stupid face if you touch me one more time. Right? <laughs> Watch Brady Kachuk flip a puck at Matthew Kachuk. Oh my God. I will this buy. This needs to happen. Okay. okay. I'm putting it out here right now because I do kind of like the 2D logo that the Sens have going on. <gasps> if Brady Kachuk flips a puck at his brother, a la Jake Muzzin, I will... At least a jersey, but maybe a full jersey. Maybe we'll get a Kachuk jersey, hang it right in the studio. But it's got to be, it can't be like interpreted like he sort of took a shot, but it missed and went close to him. And it was, ah, that's it. No, this has to be, he clearly's trying to be a douche at just like Jake Muzzin was and, and do the same thing. We will have some sort of Brady Kachuk 2D memorabilia in the TCA studio. I am tweeting that the minute <laughs> we are done. I've literally, while you were talking, wrote up that tweet. It is going on Twitter. You heard it here first, folks. Yeah. If Brady Kachuk flips a puck at Matthew in a tongue-in-cheek <laughs> a la Jake Muzzin yeah. way, Matt, Matt, I was going to call you Matthew, Matt yeah. will buy a Brady Kachuk jersey or jersey. Yeah. We'll see what we have it what, on record. Yes, oh, this I'm needs committed. To happen. That's right. <gasps> oh my god, how do I get a, a hold of Brady Kachuk? <laughs> I need this to happen so bad. Oh, I, I'm, I'm down all... to have a little fun. I, 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 I last year, um, because I think Rob had suggested he might get traded at the deadline or something. Not Brady, uh, Connor Brown. I loved Connor Brown as a Leaf, and if I, I said if Connor Brown either with Ottawa or gets traded at the deadline and with someone else wins a Stanley Cup this year. I will buy a Connor Brown, Ottawa Senators jersey, not even the team he was going to be traded to. Oh um, and of course, uh, he did not win a Stanley Cup last year, no. but uh, you That's know, okay. it's like, it's, you know, I like to have something on the line, right? It makes these games more interesting. I will say I love Connor Brown. Of course. I, I did not, minus the fact that he's, he seems to be one of these players, kind of like Mike Fisher was back in the day where he is, in the mix all the time. He is, he knows how to put himself in the right place at the right time. He's always getting scoring chances, but he just can't yes. bury them. No, that's it. He can't finish. Like the number of times I watched Mike Fisher break into the zone and then miss high and wide. I, I have no idea, but I feel like Connor Brown's the same thing. He'll, he'll go in on a two on one. He'll have a beautiful chance alone in front of the net. Just can't finish. Yep. But I like his energy. No, for sure. I loved him. Uh, that first season, when the Leafs were young, 16, 17, all the kids were breaking into the lineup. He started the year on a line with Matthews and Zach Hyman. And, you know, most of the time it was Hyman and Brown's job, obviously, to get the puck to Matthews, and, and he was good at that. But when the opportunity would arise and Matthews would somehow dig it out and find him alone in front, it was oh, man, come on. <laughs> you got to finish that. So I love him. 
good in his own end, like good two-way player, lots of energy, all that stuff. But yeah, I, I can't remember which one of the Sens recent games I watched. Connor Brown had like three glorious chances, like rushing in hard off the wing and just like somehow shanked it over the net. <laughs> Might have been against Toronto. I can't remember for sure. But, oh, probably. Yeah. But and, and he gives you that awesome opportunity anytime he scores. He's got the greatest, uh, for, for me anyway, every time he scores a goal, I get to yell, downtown Connor Brown. Okay, see, that's what we used to call him in Toronto. But I now, know. now I like to call him West of Town Connor Brown. West of Town. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. And his Instagram handle is also DT Brown or uh, DT Brown or okay, something like yeah. that. Like I, I, he he plays into it, which I really like. <laughs> it's awesome. Um, no, no one seems to say that with uh, Downtown Logan Brown. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> you got to earn that. <laughs> Let's. Uh, yeah, seriously. Not Downtown Bill. Uh, like. <laughs> <laughs> Hey now. Yeah. Um, let's stick with the Toronto Maple Leafs for a second. Your, oh, I love that idea. Yeah, I figured you would. <laughs> um, but but this is also this is a topic I am very passionate about. Yeah, Matt, to be you fair, know. you um, sent this topic to me. This isn't me setting I up this week's topic. So yeah. I spent so much time researching this this morning, and I did not get a chance to talk about it on the air because surprisingly, uh, Sens fans <laughs> don't want to hear about the Leafs. But uh, William Nylander mm-hmm. had himself a game on Wednesday night against the Calgary Flames. They were up one nothing until about a minute thirty left in the game. They were on the verge of shutting out the Toronto Maple Leafs two games in a row. Yep. And one minute thirty seconds left in the game, William Nylander pots a very messy goal. Uh, from a scramble in front of the net. Greasy, right in front. Greasy goal. Yep. Just for, for anybody who says he doesn't score those greasy or dirty <laughs> goals, that's exactly what he did. And then, just in case that wasn't enough, he scores the overtime game winner in this one and gives the Leafs a very much needed emotional win and just deflates the Calgary Flames. And uh, Jonas Siegel of The Athletic had a great piece uh, on Thursday morning about how we need to stop the debate about William, William Nylander. And I, I'm, you know, I, I've, I've talked about it on, on the podcast before. I am very much a William Nylander fan because I hate the criticism he takes. Like yeah. he's not perfect. No, uh, no player is, but every time he makes a mistake and every flaw that he has just seems to be honed in on and, and amplified by the Toronto media in particular, the Toronto sun mm-hmm. and, and fans and, and very, it, it tends to be the kind of older school fans who don't think he tries hard enough or don't think he's physical enough. They think he's lazy. And Jonas Siegel brought up the great point that like his mistakes just kind of because of the, his, his style of play, his mistakes just kind of look like those of effort, right? Right. It looks like a, a lack of effort, but it, it's just the way he plays. He's not, not trying. It's just that that's kind of the way it looks. And I thought, you know, he talked about how he stays late after practice and everyone on the team talks about his, his dedication. I, I thought the article was, was great, but I just wish we would put this whole is, you know, debate about William Nylander to bed. I don't know what you thought. Um, oh, I have I have many thoughts. Um, but it was a great piece by Jonas Siegel. We will uh, share it in all the usual places. Subscription required, but recommended. Um, it's funny when you use the word lazy, and, and Jonas used it as well in the piece. And it reminded me instantly of the narrative in the early days, certainly. And, and for some people, it stuck around later. People who don't understand the game, but I can't help them. When Matt Sundin came to Toronto and Matt Sundin was like six, three. And so he had this big, powerful stride and he could get moving pretty well. But even when he was doing it, 
his legs don't move like our previous hero, Doug Gilmore, at like 5'9 or 5'10, who's just, <clears throat> right, like just carving up, trying to get down the... Mats would take these big, long strides, and it looked like, hey, you could push harder than that, right? But anybody who's watched any kind of like Olympic speed skating, um, especially the long track stuff and the real long distances... It's those big, long strides. Keep it as powerful as you can instead of chopping up the ice every, you know, taking two or three steps to every one of Matt's. But that's what he used to get carved for. It doesn't even look like he's trying. Well, that eventually went away. But for a long time, that was the narrative around Matt's. And it was garbage. But what, And so the same thing is sort of happening here with Willie. When you talk about him looking lazy, he does have some mental... La- like, let's just say it. He's not going to win a Selkie. He's not that guy, right? He's not a great defensive forward. He's better than people give him credit for. He's pretty good mm. coming back through the middle and lifting sticks and stuff like that. But no, he's not a Selkie winner. But most of the people who put up big points in the league aren't great in their own end. You get paid for what you do well. And for the production that he puts up at $6.9 million, man, unreal. And I had real issues with the even last night, um, Jeff Fayette. If you're a if you're a Leafs fan, and he's been on the show a couple times, you should follow Jeff. He's he's um, breaks things down really well. But he had had somebody tweet at him that just said like, "You really think this guy's going to grind it out along the boards and whatever in the playoff?" And Jeff just took. He's like, "It takes a huge set to sit here on the night where he just scored the game tying and game winning goal." and is the only one on the team who scored any goals in this two-game series against Calgary to choose tonight's the night I'm ripping Willie, right? Like, I just don't understand what else he can do, right? And and um, Craig Button got my ire up a little bit because it was a headline, and, and his thing was, uh, it's about time that William Nylander became timely after this game. In two of the last three seasons... William Nylander has led the Leafs in game-winning goals with eight and seven, respectively. Um, The next closest guy in both of those seasons was Austin Matthews with five. And over the last, uh, since 2017-2018 season, including the 2017-2018 season, he's 23rd in the league in game-winning goals. Is that like top five, oh my God, Captain Clutch? No, but there's 700 goddamn players in the league being top 25 at anything is pretty good, right? And that that isn't per game. Like, it's not like a per 60. This is overall. So he missed half of the 18-19 season sitting out and is still in the top 25 in game-winning goal. So these idiot narratives that don't get researched at all, where people just take a rip, well, it's about time you decided to do something at clutch time. He's always doing something at clutch time. You just don't like him. I... It makes exactly. me crazy. I'm sorry. I know I, I've been rambling here for now like six minutes probably, but it makes me insane, Michaela. <laughs> no, I'm with you. I'm 100% with you. And I'm not even a Leafs fan. Like I would, I relish in people ripping on the of Leafs, course. but there's something about William Nylander that I feel the need to protect because it's just not warranted. No. Like, first of all, this guy makes $6.9 million yeah. a year, which is a very fair contract for what they are getting out of him. Mm-hmm. Um, full credit to Jonas Siegel for these stats because I fully got them from his article. But since last season, Nylander is second on the Leafs in five-on-five goals and assists. Yep. Not just that, but over the last 40 years, 
the only Leafs players with more points to start their career in the first 328 games, which is how many Nylanders had. The only players with more points at that point in their career were Mitch Marner, Austin Matthews, Rick Vive, and Vincent Dampfoust. What well, I don't even Dampfoust. I don't even know yeah. who that is. Dampfoust. Yeah. I don't even know who that is. It's before your time, like, kid. <laughs> This guy is statistically one of the greatest <laughs> Leafs to ever play. And you know what's going to happen? I can feel it. I uh-huh. know this is going to happen. This has Phil Kessel 2.0 written all over it. He's going to eventually yeah. get run out of town. Or eventually, decide I've had enough. And, and I wouldn't blame him. No. Honestly, even at this point, if he said, I'm out of here, no. I would not blame him. And he's going to go somewhere and he's going to win a Stanley Cup. You watch. This will happen. Yeah. And you know what? I do not, minus you, because I know you're a William Nylander <laughs> fan, I don't feel bad for any of the Leaf fans about that because you deserved it. For treating him the way that you have, it's it's despicable. He is somewhat different than most hockey players because he has a bit of a different vibe. Yeah. He's more nonchalant. He's not as social or or um, He doesn't like talking to the media. About, He's not real comfortable with that. Again, no. much like Phil. Right, like, much like Phil Kessel, yeah. and he's he's a little more quiet, uh, much more humble, and therefore we don't like him. Yep. And and I'll say it, like you know, th- there was a blatantly racist joke on the front of the Toronto Sun comparing yep. him to IKEA furniture. Be and, and like it's so weird that people, you know, whoever uses this as an excuse not to like him, which is stupid, they go to the fact that he's Swedish, but like he's just as Canadian as he he's is born Swedish. In Calgary. Like, <laughs> like, come on, man. It, it's just ridiculous. But because he's got somewhat of a different attitude than your quintessential rough and tumble lunch pail hockey player, yep. we've got to drag him through the mud. And I hate this. It's 2021. We need to stop this narrative. The They were talking about this on the Steve Dangle podcast. But basically, the, where this all comes from is someone's uncle yep. reads the Toronto Sun, tells his <laughs> buddy, who then tells his son – you know, William Nylander's garbage. Like it, it just goes through this broken telephone of people who read tabloid news in the city. And it, it is an <laughs> old narrative that just needs to die. Another one of the guys who writes for the athletic Dom Lustrician, and he's just, he's a super stats nerd, but you know, puts it in good context, makes it easy to understand, whatever he put, um, right after Willie's overtime winner, um, on Wednesday night, uh, Willie just told your uncle to shut the fuck up. <laughs> yes. That is the most accurate tweet ever. And the <laughs> it last, is. It's that old school hockey he's too pretty, mentality. Right. I, I know he's all these things. Like he, he doesn't. Oh, come on. Who cares? His hair is nice. Big on deal. Instagram with his shirt off over the summer. And you're like, who gives it honest to Christ? He's uh, a very good looking man with great style. Why are we, yeah. <laughs> why can't you also be a great hockey player? Right. I don't get it. It's a lot of jealousy. I think from some of us fat, beer holding people on our couches (laughs) watching the Leaf games. The last thing I would say on it, on the the narrative that he's soft and things too, uh, last year he led the Leafs and was near the top, if not at the top, um, in terms of goals from that high danger area, the home plate they always show, kind of between the circles down to the crease on the broadcast. He was scoring a pile of goals there. And people have been saying all year, well, he's gotten away from doing that. He's 11th in the league in high danger scoring percentage or high danger scoring chances created this year. Again, out of like 700 guys. And while we're talking about him struggling, there are things in his game you're just not always going to love. Like I said, I think we can be comfortable with the fact that he's not going to win a Selkie, but he's at $6.9 million. He's 
statistically fine, if not, you know, good value at that number. I just, I don't think it's ever going away. It's become very much like politics, right? Nope, I've just decided don't like that guy and never changing sides. It's almost become tribal and I don't think it's going away, but it's ridiculous. And there is no, every time you see one of these headlines ripping them or somebody, whatever, there's almost never any evidence. It's just an easy, I think enough people will agree with me if I just say he's soft on the boards and then whatever. You're like, yeah, all right. He's not Zach Hyman on the boards, but not everybody is, right? Um, it just bugs me that we can't get by this. And I, I think you, uh, the Jonas Siegel piece you're referencing said, like, this is referendum needs to end or whatever mm-hmm. was the headline. But I don't the think it's going to... Yeah, th- th- that's that's absolutely right. The last thing I'll say on that, like, you know, if, if you compare him to Zach Hyman in terms of, you know, how his play along the boards kind of thing, there are certain players who the way they skate, the way they move, and, and you kind of talked about this earlier, it looks like a lot of effort. Yeah, because they're not as good. Exactly. <laughs> it's like Cody Cece was very much like that, where everything he did, it looked like it, it took him, it was such a struggle for him to just move, right? If you and, and I tomorrow took the old TCA camera out somewhere and took a run. I promise you it will look like I'm working harder than you. And it's because I'm absolutely going to be working harder than you. I got to like, I suck at this. I'm out of shape. I'm clearly gassed. All these (laughs) things. I'm working harder than you because I have to, because I'm terrible at this. Right? Like now that's an extreme example, but that's what's happening. Like I talked about with, Whoever, Dougie chopping up the ice and skating. Like, I loved Dougie. He gave it his Darcy Tucker, all these sorts of guys. Sundin didn't look like that because he didn't have to look like that. He was better than that. And it didn't mean that Sundin wasn't trying. No. It's just what trying and what, what trying looks just like smooth, for him yeah. was so much smoother. Yeah. And and that's William Nylander. He's a smooth skater. Yep. And and I'm, again, I'm not saying he's perfect. He's right? Not. He's going to make mistakes, but his mistakes are just so much more amplified than Mitch Marner's. Yep. And it needs to stop. Agreed. Um, speaking of other uh, teams in the division who I hate, uh, the, the Montreal Canadiens made a coaching change this week after they lost two in a row to the Ottawa Senators, which is enough to get, send you into an existential crisis, which is exactly what happened. Claude Julien <laughs> and Kirk Muller are out. Dominic Ducharme is in. What did you think of the move? I'm, I was going to say confused. I don't know if I'm let me, I'm going to push this back to you first this time. Mm-hmm. What did you think? And it's, it would be easy to bail out now. Cause I don't think I've asked you this on the show before. What were your honest expectations for the Canadians this year? Who got a ton of hype coming into the season as being, if not the best, then the second best team in the division, some media members calling them a juggernaut. Um, I love CJ, but, and he's having a good time with it. The people keep throwing it back at him, but uh, what did you think the Habs were going to be this year? I certainly thought they had a great off season. Yeah. But I did, I did not think they would be as good as they looked like they were early this season. Yeah. I didn't think that was sustainable. Right. Their defense is just way too slow. Yep. And I, I, I don't know exactly what I, I thought they would be maybe, I would put them at a comfortable second or third in the division. If if I'm being honest, coming into the season, I don't think you can say they're like, even before the season started, I don't think you could say they're better than Toronto, right? Toronto. This is Toronto's division to lose. Mm -hmm. We knew that coming in. 
uh, I, you know, I could see the, the Canadians sitting somewhere around with the Oilers or Jets, like, you know, sitting in that kind of sure. second tier group. But uh, there was something about when they were, when, when they were kind of on their tear early in the season and they were like, they looked just mercilessly shit kicking the Canucks repeatedly. <laughs> but, but that's just it. It was just the Canucks. <laughs> There, again, to reference the Steve Dangle podcast, they were talking this week about how if you look at Montreal's record outside of uh, – you remove the Vancouver games. Yeah, they're now they're under 500. Si- Five exactly. Six and three or something like that. Yeah. Exactly. Like like the Vancouver Canucks suck almost as much as the Ottawa Senators <laughs> do, and no one expected that. And Montreal just took advantage of the fact that most of their early season games were against Vancouver. Yeah. Now, I, I definitely – you know, the the eight game skid where they essentially went two and six and three of those losses came against the Ottawa Senators. <laughs> I didn't necessarily think they were as no. bad as that indicated. They were probably somewhere in the middle. But uh, to me, th- this move was a long time coming. Like like Mark Bergevin had this planned. He he knew he wanted to get rid of Julian I, for whatever reason. I don't know why. And losing two games in a row to the league's worst team is the perfect opportunity to do it because yeah. no one's going to question you. I agree with you. And I, at times on this podcast, was approaching apoplectic and on Twitter with the predictions. Um, I had three distinct tiers in this division. I thought Toronto, Calgary, and Edmonton would battle for those kind of top three spots. And then I had Vancouver, whoops, Winnipeg and Montreal in the second tier battling for that fourth spot. And then Ottawa in a tier on their own, several tiers being shed, no doubt. I didn't think Montreal was anywhere near as good as the media and their fans and their whatever was saying they would be. This was a 24th place team last year who sold at the deadline. We get invited back to this funky summer bubble and everyone played under the same circumstances. So the Habs are full value, but you were not a playoff team. Um, You had a good run. Carey Price was fantastic and bit a Pittsburgh team on the ass that, I don't know, either wasn't ready or just short series, whatever it was. And then got beat by uh, by Philly in the next round. And then signed Jake Anderson, who I will admit has been better than I thought he would be, and Tyler Toffoli, who to me were two second line guys. So middle six guys, but high middle six guys. Um, like I said, Anderson's been better than I expected. Toffoli's been about what I expected. And that, and and Joel Edmondson on the back end. And, and Jake Allen, I did think, was an upgrade at back. But you don't go from 24th place to juggernaut. And I just kept falling all over myself. What is happening? Has people lost their minds predicting this team to dominate? And then they get off to this start and I have to start going, hmm. hmm. Uh-oh. Yeah. <laughs> Am I <I'm>, wrong? <laughs> uh, yeah. And that's not an easy thing for Matt to admit to. And, I, <laughs> and so I held off as long as I could. I'm just scratching my beard. And I wonder what's happening. Please lose a few soon. Please stop playing Vancouver soon. Um, And then they started. So I don't think they're as good as the start was. I certainly don't think they're as bad as the last six, eight, whatever games it's been, have been. But I think Claude Julian's a good coach. And I just don't think this team 
is anywhere as good as what a, the media said, and then B that, which kind of allowed the team to talk themselves into. And you can fire the coach if you want, but I don't think they were good enough to be able to say this was his fault. That's very, that's a very fair point. And I also think that, you know, the, the off season moves they made were, were pretty good, but yeah. let's not pretend that bringing in Josh Anderson, I kept calling uh, Tyler to I? I did it at least twice. It's nah, Josh okay. Anderson. <laughs> I think so. And I could be wrong. <laughs> no, you're uh, right. br- <laughs> bringing in Josh Anderson. That's Tyler how little Tifoli I think and- of him. I don't even know his fucking name. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Josh Anderson, Tyler to and Corey Perry. It, it's not exactly like you brought in Connor McDavid. No, like everyone was acting like this was going to set Montreal over the top. And I'm mm-hmm. like, okay, they're like decent players. Yes. Like, but they're. I not. thought they had a good off season, but it's hard. It's far to come from twenty fourth place come to on. juggernaut. And again, with Nick Suzuki and and uh, Kutkinyemi, who both had great, you know, nine games, whatever, in the bubble, and we just decided, okay, they've arrived. Good number one, two center, we're set. And Suzuki's been okay at times. Kutkinyemi has struggled here and there. I do think they will be fine. To have just decided that nine games in an empty building in the middle of August was like, yep, that's the Habs now. They're great. I I didn't get it. I don't understand it. And the fact that not being what they never were has cost Claude Julien his job. I'm like you said, I I guess Bergevin has had this in his back pocket for a while. Um but he's also the one who hired, like Mark Bergevin has been there for like nine years. He's on to his third rebuild. Yeah, that's the thing. At some like, point, this it is, might be you and your this, sweet white belt there, buddy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> this might be the last coaching change he gets to make, right? You only get so many coaching changes yeah. as a GM. Yeah. And I, I do think that Mark Bergevin had this plan for a while. I think he was looking for an excuse to get rid of Julian and, and he found it. I'm interested to see what Dominic Ducharme can do. I, I did a, a little bit of, of reading on him, um, and I guess so. He he was with the the Halifax Mooseheads for a while, and he coached Nate McKinnon and Nikolai Ehlers. Mm. Both have great relationships with him, and and rave about him. Um, right. There was a piece in the Athletic about it, and I thought, you know, this is a team with a lot of young players: Nick Suzuki, Yasperi uh, Kakkiemi. Um, you know, there's there's a lot in this team that maybe Claude Julien's coaching style just didn't line up with. Sure. Right. And, and, and you Ducharme always get the known, bump, right? When you fire your coach, the next 10 games oh, are yeah. always way better. Play, everybody Absolutely. Plays They're going to go in a little bit. And, and you know what, those, that little bump can get you a lot farther in a condensed season. Yep. And he seems to be a player's coach and he seems to be a guy that, that young players trust and, and uh, rely on and seem to have a good relationship with. So I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see how that goes. Very curious to see Alex Burroughs as an assistant coach. That was weird. I was surprised. Very by that. weird. Yeah. Uh, but but well, sure. Why not? We'll give it, we'll give it a <laughs> shot. A wacky season. Let's give her a go. Why not? Um, so yeah, like I, I think they're going to level out. They're going to be better than they have been recently. They're not going to be as good as they were to start at the season. Yep. They'll be somewhere in the middle. They'll probably make the playoffs just because with all oh, due yeah. respect to this North division, Yes, there's some four teams still have to make the playoffs. Yeah. No, and they've been and, better than I thought they would be, but just nowhere close to where people were saying no, they were going to be. That's all. Absolutely I, not. So yeah, we'll we'll see how these next do few you games think, go. Before we move off that, do you think, um, you know, they've given Dominic Ducharme the interim title? Do you think he's the guy, or is this? 
all right, we fired our coach. We don't have time for somebody to do like a 14 day quarantine and us go without coaches. Um, do you think like Bergevin said, he was always the guy or is this just the necessity to get through this season? Much like whether or not the Canadians are as bad or as good as they've played this season, I think it's somewhere in the middle. Like, I I think this is a tryout for him a little bit. If things go well, if things go well, they would be silly to not bring him in for a longer term. Um, but it's all going to depend on how the season goes. And, and really what that means is from now until then, it's just going to be constant rumors of whether or not Patrick Waugh becomes the head coach (laughs) here. (laughs) So get ready for that. What do you think? Um, yeah, it, it's weird, eh? Because if all of a sudden, let's say it's Patrick Watch, just for argument's sake, all of a sudden, Claude Julien starts seeing Patrick Waugh in your team hotel for two weeks. You're like, what are you doing? Here? Like, I'm just, I'm just here. Like, but he's clearly in your bubble. You're like, oh, I'm getting fired. Like, you can't, oh, you no. can't bring the new coach into your bubble before you fire the old guy because it's going to be pretty obvious. But at the same time, you can't fire two of your coaches and go without for two weeks. So. It was always an interesting thing. I think he was almost stuck going with someone on the staff. So, like you said, if it goes well, obviously he'll get a look. But I do think there's a certain amount of, yeah, this is who we had to go with because he's already in our... Uh, it's a weird season, eh? And I do think that's a a part of it. I, I did want to ask you kind of... I know we got to wrap up here in a couple minutes. I saw a thing a week or two ago... In 31 Thoughts, and Friedman was talking about uh, having seen an interview with um, an NBA agent who was talking about how some of his players who have now tested positive have become more valuable on the trade market now that they've come out of quarantine. They've had it, right? In theory, they now have the antibodies. They're not going to get it again. And Friedman kind of framed this as like, it's a really dark way to think. It's kind of a morbid way to look at the world and, but it might be real. Do you think, you know, across sports right now and and the vaccines are coming, I don't know when pro athletes are going to get it. I know people got up in arms when we were talking about the idea that pro sports leagues were out looking for their own private supplies. That shouldn't have surprised. It's kind of gross, but it shouldn't have shocked anybody that they were at least looking I don't know when everybody starts to get vaccinated, but do you buy into the fact that as we approach the NHL trade deadline, this idea that, hey, that guy, you know, he's already had it. He was on the protocol list. We know he tested positive. If we bring him in here now, that's one less thing to worry about. Like, am I being really gross or is that something as a GM that even if you didn't publicly talk about it, you would have to consider as like, I'm looking at two guys here. One's already had the thing and he's back playing. The other guy I bring him in could test positive tomorrow. That's really interesting. I'm not going to lie. I hadn't, I hadn't seen that yeah. and heard of that. So I, I like think I need to gross, process it, but it's, I mean, like my, my immediate, my immediate response is like, we don't technically know that once you get it, you can't get it again. That's right. The, so, so we that think, that's just though. like the, the public health side of me. That's yes, like, there's actually that's, that's limited totally evidence. Um, but I, the, the other thing is, I don't know what, what GMs know, but in the early days, there were a lot of people, a lot of players testing positive uh, in the NHL. 
And those names weren't always released. That's right. I, yep. I don't know how readily accessible that information is to GM. So they may know, hey, at one point, this guy was on the protocol list. It doesn't mean he got it. Do we even know he had it? Like, well, we have I, maybe seen a lot do. of players talking about having had it now, right? Yes. Like some of the yeah. guys coming back out of it. But that seems to be very much up to their discretion. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I, maybe there's a list, you know, going around internally that GMs have seen that I have, and that's right. just like all the players who have it. I don't know. I, I, I mean, nothing would surprise me anymore, yeah. right? Like it's, it's a very weird year, and I'm sure that there are teams who will literally look to any way to get an advantage. Yeah. Um, but I hadn't thought about that before. That's very interesting. I also wonder, like, the vaccine is is moving along a lot faster in the states than it is here. Yes. You know, are we going to start to see pro athletes and, and NHL players vaccinated in the States before they are here? Are we going to have American teams that are fully vaccinated and right. Canadian teams that are not? Yep. Or is the NHL going to wait till possible. all of our players can get it or no one kind of thing? Yeah, it's probably got to go by like state jurisdiction, wouldn't you think? Mm-hmm. Like at this point, especially the way it's going in the US, look, I'd have been pissed like everybody else and thought it was gross if, you know, we're not even done vaccinating our old age homes but the NHL has had their vaccinations. That would have sucked. At the yeah. same time, I don't know now in the US, right? Like when they're doing like millions of people a day at this point, I don't know when, like if I found out in two weeks, the flyers had been vaccinated, I'd probably go, all right. Right. Like I, I, I think the outrage point might be passed because we are into doing, at least in the US, they're doing the general public. So do we have to force athletes to go last? I don't think that's fair either. Like as long as in your state or your jurisdiction, you kind of fit in wherever you should fit in. I don't know. I think I might be past the the point where I'd be mad to find out that a pro sports team had had it. If the general public is getting it now in their jurisdiction, I think. Yeah. I wouldn't be upset about that at all. As long as they're getting it in their area where other people of their same abilities and, and privileges are getting it. Yeah. I'm okay with that. If they're getting it before vulnerable populations, that's different. Of course. But I think from a PR standpoint, the NHL, I'd like to think they are smarter than that, but they have (laughs) proven me wrong. They have given us reason to doubt that for (laughs) sure. Let's wait and see. (laughs) I just want to mention one last thing before you wrap us up here, because I meant to tease this off the top. We got another guest next Wednesday. This is, uh, especially on Leafs Twitter, you've probably seen her around. She's an awesome follow. Uh, her name is Victoria Forrester. I, her Twitter is Vicky Forrester, but she is uh, a doctor in Toronto um, and a, a member of Leafs Twitter, a craft beer enthusiast. And so she fits a lot of people, a lot of the, the criteria to come on this show. And I always love her takes because in one place on Twitter, I can kind of follow and get, you know, okay, here's what I should and shouldn't be taking seriously today out of COVID news. And then later on, here's another Toronto brewery she's trying. And then here's her leaf takes. So there's a lot going on there that I enjoy on one Twitter feed. So I reached out to her a week or so ago, asked if she just wanted to come on, talk a little hockey, talk a little craft beer. And then I framed it as answer my idiot questions about the, the pandemic and the vaccine. Because I don't have a lot of people on this show who have doctor before their name, right? Like I have people who have titles like, one time helped Matt finish a keg in college or whatever. <laughs> right? Like, So I'm really looking forward to this. I know it's not as necessarily as big of a well-known name, but 
Um, really interesting hockey. And, and this is, I, I don't know why this is so interesting to me. She's British, right? She moved to Toronto from Britain. And so I've heard her do several presentations before. I've heard her talk. And it's always cool to me to hear people talk about hockey with a British accent. For some reason, I'm like, I like that. Like it's kind of spreading across the world, right? So craft beer talk, little hockey talk. And what I have called idiot questions about the pandemic um, with Dr. Vicky Forrester. That'll be next Wednesday morning on the pod. I am so into that. Yeah. I am going to listen to that for sure. I actually just followed her on Twitter. You, you sold her. Good. Love it. I am into this. <laughs> awesome. That's such a great guest. Yep. Can't uh, wait. Listen, I, th- so I'm, I'm looking forward to that episode. That sounds like it's going to be amazing. Uh, we got to wrap up here, but... As always, thank you all so much for listening. You can listen to our previous episode where we interviewed Red Blacks quarterback Matt Nichols. You can find out why I ended up going to Whitby to get Brock Street Brewing. Uh, <laughs> we didn't ask him can... if he went to school with any wrestlers. Hey, happy birthday, Ric Flair, today, too, by the way. Woo! Love it. I did that right, right? You did it. Nailed it. Perfect. All right. As always, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, all at TallCanAudio. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Shrides, S-C-H-R-E-I-D-S. And we will see you next time on TallCanAudio. Peace. Did you see that? Yep. There's an hour you're never getting back. I just want to say from the bottom of my heart, I'd like to take this chance to apologize to absolutely nobody. The double check does what the f*** he wants. Okay, I'm going to call that a wrap. You can find tons more TCA at tallcanaudio.com. Ba-dum-bum.